welcome everybody to another episode of Downton Gabby Off Season, uh, the show where we miss Downton Abbey so much we still have to meet and talk about other TV that we're watching and the fascinating female characters on the shows we love. We're also going to talk about the latest Downton updates and another fabulous film brought to you by Julian Fellows. I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. Um, first of all, there is some Downton news of questionable quality, but um, a few things have been going <laughs> on. Uh, Alan Leach was spotted shooting season six. So did he go to America? Mm. Did he come back from America? Mm. Probably came back from America because Julian's never going to let me have America. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, I think, of course, that Lady Mary should be going to visit him and having cowboy adventures, but probably not going to happen. So in other news, there might be a Downton movie after season six is over. How do we feel about that? I think that would be super fun. If they, they're going to do this, have a follow-up set in the 70s? Like, what? Well, <laughs> so Julian, who I'm sure now that, that his work on Downton is over, he's like doing crack or something, um, thinks it would be quite fun to have a follow-up set in the 70s, maybe shooting it 10 years from now. I, I don't know what, what is going on with him. Can you imagine Downton set in the 70s? Okay, how old would Marigold be? She would be, what, in her 50s, right? I mean, I think that's too much of a jump, but if they did, like, in a few years, if they did, like, a, a very Downton World War II Christmas or something, I don't know if it's going to end up being necessary, as much as I think it would be it would be interesting to see, particularly how, for me, how Mary turns out as more of society changes or whatever, but... Yeah, 70s is too far. 70s is too far. If they did, like, 50s or something... That would be more fun because it's like, we want to recognize some of the characters. We want to have some of the actors. Uh, I will help you write this, Julian. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll help. We're always happy to help Julian with his storylines. Okay, and finally, uh, I'm just going to quote from the press release. North Carolina-based betting company Kings Down has announced a licensing agreement with the Downton Abbey lifestyle brand to create a luxury mattress collection inspired by the TV series. Does it come with a dead Turk in it in it already? Or is that just like the upgrade? <laughs> I don't understand. The bonus. What is the appeal of a of, of a mattress from nineteen twenties? I mean I, I can't imagine the original. It's a luxury my, like, mattress. It's so short everybody's legs fall off of it because everybody was so short back then. I don't I don't understand. Uh, anyway, that's all the downtown news I've got. Have you guys got any other updates? Well, I'm ordering that mattress right now. For this episode, the Julian Fellows-related content that we decided to consume was The Young Victoria, which I had actually never seen. But, you know, we love our girl Emily Blunt, and so I thought it would be a good crossover. And she was fab she was fabulous once again. I, I was wondering whether I would have liked it if they had cast someone, like, legit a little bit younger, who actually looked like they were, like, 18. Mm. But I think she pulled off the sort of innocent vibe of it to start. I could sort of suspend my disbelief. She was really good, I thought. And we should point out that, that Julian Fellows wrote the screenplay for this. Yes. Uh, I thought she was really good. Actually, I thought all the actors were good. And uh, we did have um, some of our Downton regulars... <laughs> 
showing up um, in Julian Fellow's little acting company. Yeah. So Dr. Clarkson, yeah, back once Are again. Are they just like buddies? Why is he in all the stuff? Are they best friends? I think they're just buddies. Is he the John Ratzenberger of <laughs> Julian Fellow's universe? He he once again had like one line, and of course you you could recognize him right away because of his mm-hmm. voice. Uh, but there he was, and then and then uh, Harriet Walter, Lady Shackleton, mm-hmm. who had a, a bigger role, and I really liked her in this. Actually, did you guys like her? Yeah, yeah, I thought she was great as like the Baroness, who was also sort of Victoria's governess type person. I thought she was the the Queen Mother. No, she Wasn't was married she... to the uncle, um, the guy from Moulin Rouge that died. Okay, Wasn't he the king? Never mind. He was no, he again. was the regent. He was the uncle regent. There's a lot going on in this movie, guys. I had to honestly read Wikipedia half the time to understand what was going on because there's so many people. Yeah, I had a little I had a little looking up who the hell these historical figures are for sure. The the more I mean, obviously we know the main ones, but like there was a lot of peripheral people where I was like, I just need to keep track of who's whose nephew and stuff. Well, Albert, I didn't realize this, but Albert is her first cousin. Her mother's brother's son. I'm already confused. So we got some sexy cousin action. And I'm looking at the IMDb of the movie right now and realizing that, of course, I was confusing characters earlier. Um, Because I didn't have a family flow chart in front of me like you need for these sorts of things. You need a a chart of the entire royal family who apparently is mostly German um, (laughs) and stays mostly German (laughs) right until the outbreak of World War II, which has always been sort of fascinating. Right. Uh, and what's his face who's on Game of Thrones and Orphan Black and is like <laughs> oh, everywhere yeah. <laughs> pops up again. Standing And Nashville. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's standing around eating an apple in like half of the background scenes. I know. <laughs> we can't escape him. We can't escape him. <laughs> yeah, he plays Albert's brother. Um I know he's like a peripheral character in every yeah. show I watch these days. Michael Houseman? My- Houseman? Michael Heisman is how I would say it if he was American. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to say it for someone who was actually born, like, in Amsterdam. But, um... Yeah, he's, like, always a bridesmaid in every in every <laughs> show he's in. He's done, like, four different accents, as far as I can tell, in the stuff I've seen. Yeah, is that why he keeps getting hired? Because, like, I, he's kind of sexy, but he's not, like, so fantastic that, like... Well, that's why he's not the lead guy. Person. He's just like yeah, good looking true. enough to be the side piece, you know. But no, uh, the, the bridesmaid. He's, <laughs> he's pretty enough, but not too pretty. I think he's pretty hot. He is, but, but like, yeah. I guess it's just because it seems like a variation of the exact same character in every show that I'm kind of feeling a little like, what is happening with this guy? <laughs> he needs his own show, or or maybe he needs to be in some dystopian. At this point, I'm just interested to see him kind of play against type and play somebody that, like, whatever actress is against him doesn't, like, automatically want to bone. Which we got a little Mm -hmm. of here, but this character was very one-note. He existed solely for um, Albert to have someone to talk to. Absolutely. Right. Which I did confirm Rupert Brand did play Mr. Wickham and the Kira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice. Oh. Okay. I always love whoever plays Mr. Wickham. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> well, how come Michael Heisman hasn't played Mr. Wickham? I think that should be his He next could do role. a good job at that. He could a little be a good dastardly, Wickham, yeah. flirty. I'm sure he'll get mm-hmm. a chance. There's a new version of Pride and Prejudice like every three years, so. 
Yeah, we're due exactly. for one. So the other minor character sighting was Rachel Sterling, uh, who was in Bletchley Circle. She played Millie. She was the cool lady who wore slacks yeah. a lot. And she played uh, Victoria's lady-in-waiting. She totally did. You know, honestly, I yeah. think I did see La- Lady Mary in the background in one of the earlier <laughs> scenes. One of the big what? ball scenes. Yeah. I don't know. If she was just an extra, then maybe she wouldn't be credited. Okay, and then the other the other great credit detail I noticed was that the film was produced by Sarah Ferguson, the Duchess of York. <laughs> I did not. When I saw Sarah Ferguson, I'm like, wait, Sarah As Ferguson? Like, yeah. As in Fergie, yeah, she's the producer on this film. I did roll my eyes at the slight uh, massaging of history at the end there when Albert throws himself in front of Victoria and gets shot or whatever. I was like, that did not happen during that assassination attempt. Nobody got shot. That <laughs> is completely I invented. I was wondering about that. That part is invented for the movie as far as I know, as far as my... Um, Googling to verify that I was right and that no one had been shot in that first assassination attempt. Um, I'm so disappointed to hear that because I thought that the movie was really pretty accurate. And so I'm sorry (laughs) that they fabricated such a key, important scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, If anyone else knows differently and there is, like, evidence of this having happened out there, I mean, it's you would think it would at least make the Wikipedia page, which it does not. Um, Yeah. There was an assassination, and he was injured, I think. Queen Victoria was almost assassinated, like, eight times. So perhaps it's just that this one, like, they pushed some things together or something. But I think a little creative license was taken. But I'm okay with it. My biggest issue was when they're falling in love, that montage, and then they run out in the rain. I just, why is this a thing that people do when they're in love? I hate being wet when I'm wearing all my clothes. <laughs> this doesn't make me want to fall in love. That makes me grumpy as fuck. It's like, I want to get these wet clothes off, not in a sexy way. I want to take a hot shower. Like, I just don't, I'm, you know, four weddings and a funeral, okay. You guys did it right. Everyone else, stop making this a thing. Okay, so here's, a, here's some historical trivia I was reminded of watching in Victoria when she gets married in her white dress. And... Uh, Victoria is famously the person who popularized the concept of the white wedding gown when she got married in 1840, because that wasn't really a common thing. You just got married in your best dress, basically. And after Victoria got married in a white dress, it started gaining popularity. And the really interesting thing about this is it's not really about purity. It was about wealth. You had to be wealthy enough to be able to make a white dress that you were going to wear for your wedding um, because most people did not have the money to make a brand new dress for mm-hmm. a wedding in white that you probably wouldn't really wear again. Right. Um, so it was actually a sign of wealth to be able to wear a white wedding dress. Um, and then it slowly acquired this thing about purity and, and all of that. Um, and then it became like a consumer consumption thing because the wedding industrial complex could sell you a new dress for $20,000 that you would never wear again. Um, so anyway, but, but Victoria was the first, the first one to really, um, popularize the idea of the white wedding dress. 
I do have to say that I did cry a lot when that little thing came up on the screen that he only lived for 20 years with her. That really hit me. It was really sad. It is really sad. That's a great love story. It is, especially since them. it's like so rare for someone in that position who has to marry someone appropriate to like actually find someone they can fall in love with. Although I'm happy to not have to give birth to nine kids. <laughs> I know. Holy I was holy. like, is she really that enthusiastic about this idea? Um, she's got some cleaning to do. Why should she be pushing out so many babies? But she did wear some amazing sparkly tiaras. And flowered headpieces. The clothes were fabulous. Yeah, I feel like the budget was mainly for the costumes. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. silk and satin budget. And uh, I thought some of the editing was really cool, too. The director of this, uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, I think is how you say his last name, because he is, you know, a French Canadian. Uh, he also directed Dallas Buyers Club, which is really kind of boringly directed. And then he, But then he directed Wild, which I think is really cool, and some really amazing sequences are in that. Um, so this, this was on my high end for... Um, things he has done and made me more interested to see what he does in the future. Yeah, I looked him up and, and I didn't make the connection between those other films, so I was really pleasantly surprised to see that he had done this and then went on to do Wild, um, among other things. Thank you, male director, for feeling confident enough to make movies about women. Well, speaking of women directors, there were none on this season of Game of Thrones. Although I did enjoy this season a lot. That is a bit of a bummer. Yeah, and they have had more women behind the scenes before. It's just... Okay, I think we should tell our listeners, Brandy, that your neighbor is playing really loud music. <laughs> we can't do anything about Just in case. I'm just that cool that there's a bass note behind me at all times. <laughs> Brandy travels with uh, a bassist. Yeah, I, I do apologize for that. I am not in um, a glorious country manor house, as you might picture me. I am in my apartment, and my upstairs neighbor is having some fun right now. So, so Game of Thrones, yeah. Um, I really liked the season, too. I thought it was great. I mean, I know it's been it's a really controversial season. We've had uh, several TV critics and other writers say, I'm done, I'm never watching this show again. But... Um, with respect to some of their uh, issues, which, you know, I think are valid, I think it was a really good season. Uh, really exciting set pieces, um, a real focus on the female character storylines. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it. I, yeah, I mean, I feel like when people are like, I'm not watching it again, and there's a lot of people that are saying that, it's like, yeah, okay, there's still more rape and nudity than I would like. Absolutely. But so is it, they've got a whole fucking CSI rape unit or whatever. You know, I mean, there's worse shows that are doing the same stuff. And I'm not saying that justifies it, but it's like, it's still a really good show. It's just like, maybe they could just stop showing a tit every episode and I'd be like happier with it. You know, we did see a penis in the finale. That was nice. For what it's worth. It's always I mean, nice. It wasn't a great penis, but, you know, throw the woman a bone, I guess, so to speak. I, I thought it was a, a really solid season all around, too. I was slightly disappointed by the finale just because it felt aggressively cliffhangerish in each story we flashed to. And that, 
I don't know. It gave me a little bit of a, like, false feeling because usually they just kind of, like, the the rhythm and the tone is kind of, like, whatever we feel the need to tell you about this episode, we're going to do. And this one was just, like, a little too chapter, chapter, chapter for me. Uh, but that's, like, such a minor quibble. And then, I don't know. I, I thought the, the Walk of Shame was really well done. Did anyone read the interview with... Uh, Lena Headley's body double that was in EW today. It was really interesting. No, oh. it was today. I was wondering about this because I hadn't seen anything about it. I, I assumed she had a body double, but it, the CGI was good. Um, but yeah, what? so tell us about this article. Well, she's just, she had never done anything like this before. It's just an aspiring actress. I guess they like really took casting the body double seriously because this scene was going to take three days to shoot and they would have to work really closely, whoever it was. With Lena, uh, who did the whole thing in just like a, I guess like a small beige shift dress, so it would be easy to splice the images together. Um, and it sounds like they did actually did like a ton of work on like what Cersei's mannerisms would be when she would halt, when she would like be tense or whatever. Um, and the actress, I'm sorry, I don't have her name in front of me right now, was. Like, took it so seriously and was speaking about how her own uncomfortableness helped her get into character for Cersei and she felt so close to her. And I was just like, that's great. <laughs> it sounds like you like Cersei and I'm sick of people ragging on her 100% of the time. And it's nice to read about how seriously they took this really horrible moment for one of the female characters that they just didn't, like, get somebody with tits and move on. It was, like, a huge, huge thing for them. So well, this was the biggest scene for Cersei, I think, to date. Because, I mean, let's just give her an Emmy right now, first off. Yeah. Her and the body double. They should share it. <laughs> because this scene was so incredible, and it was so long. And I love that they kept it long, because it was so excruciating to just see her literally stripped down and just humiliated. But then to see that turn in her eyes when the mountain picks her up and it's like the bitch is back. And it's like, you know, you cannot take Cersei down without her blowing up everything with it. You know, and I love that about her. Her will to survive. And then Jamie's going to get back and tell her that Marcel is dead. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. Who cares? Who really cares? But got two <laughs> children to poison. That kind of sucks. The whole thing in Dorn seemed to me sort of wasted. Ugh, Dorn was such a disappointment. The Sand Snakes were terrible. From what I can yeah. tell, all of Dorn is just one small beach and one grassy courtyard. <laughs> I mean, what was the... Yeah. Did we run out of places to shoot? I mean, I don't know. I, I wanted to know more about why this place is the way it is and different from the rest of the places we've seen, you know, why they are having the freewheeling culture that they have. Who is this person that's running Dorne? We learned nothing about Alexander Siddig. I know I've already ranted about having him wasted, but I mean, really? His send-off is just sitting in his gout wheelchair on the dock doing nothing? I... Well, here's the thing. Winter is coming. <laughs> is and, it? And so eventually the story is going to have to go to Dorne and Highgarden because they're the farthest south. I know this from playing the Game of Thrones board game. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was House Tyrell, so I know this. So I do think eventually the story is going to go there, but I think I think one of the biggest problems with Dorn was I know there's supposed to be this Dornish accent, but it came across so hokey that I think they just needed to let it go because I think it held back all the actors. I, at least that's what I'm hoping happened with the Sand Snakes because they were just so terrible. It's really hard to understand how they were cast in a show that I've never felt that about any character and there's so many people that have existed for like, you know, let's not forget Ollie's dad who was talking about how his mom boils the best potato in town. It's my favorite line probably ever, the show, <laughs> you know, and that guy was a better actor than them. So I don't know what happened. Over there. You know, on Gay of Thrones, he refers to them as the Kardashians. Yeah, I think we said before that by introducing Oberyn and then going to Dorne so long after, they all just sound like they're doing an impression of him. I like Indira Varma, though. I wouldn't mind seeing her again, but I don't know. I think, well, look, I mean, the thing is that we're all flying blind now because they've come to the end of the books. Um, so we don't actually know what's going to happen next. Um, Which I really like. I like being, I'm sick of you you know, hottie <laughs> book readers lording over us. Oh, this episode's going to be so bad. Okay, yeah. great. Now we're all in the same boat, okay? And That's right. That's so right. I'm going to shut up Can now. you explain <laughs> to me how did nobody say anything about Jon Snow, though? Because that happens in the books, right? Oh, yeah. So that's the only thing y'all could keep your mouth shut about. Red Wedding was spoiled <laughs> for me. Everything else was spoiled for me. What was it about that that people kept their mouth shut? I don't know. I think we were so traumatized we didn't want to talk about it. Um, although, I, I will say, and this is the last time I'm going to use this phrase, but in the book, um, it's it's left a little bit vague whether he's he, whether he died or not. I mean, he does get stabbed, and it's just like, you know, Caesar and all his people, and a too brute little boy who's also going to stab me. And it's the same thing, but they don't they don't ever say in the book that he's dead. Well, so there was kind a of a question mark. Yeah. So the, and there's a lot of speculation with the TV show as well, although I think they were pretty graphic about um <laughs> about Jon Snow's bodily condition. I have a guest commentator here who's going to tell us if he thinks Jon Snow is dead. <laughs> no character in the Game of Thrones series is really dead until you find all their body parts 20,000 miles away from each other, heavily separated. And even then, you're not so sure. <laughs> All right. That's I mean, fair. thank you. This is the same episode where we just witnessed the resurrection of the mountain. Mm -hmm, and right. Melisandre just rolled in on her sad horse. Exactly. I mean, the fact that she arrives before he gets killed makes me think. And hmm. I gotta say that Kit Harrington has been, seems like he's having a little too much fun. In all these interviews where he's insisting that he's really, truly dead. So. And there was that salaries thing that Vulture came out uh, earlier this year of who all got salary bonuses for the final seven season and his name was on it. Yeah. So. We don't know. I don't know. I'm going to be. Actually, Jon Snow is really not my favorite and I won't really miss spending so much time at the wall at all if he truly is dead. But I will be fucking pissed that I had to listen to seven different monologues about who his mom might be if it turns out to not matter at all in the course of the show's story. Well, I got really depressed um, at Jon Snow's death. A, I was shocked to realize that I had cared about the character, which kind of snuck in there. 
Um, so that was kind of shocking, first off. Secondly, I started, again, yeah, there's all these theories about his parentage. This is kind of the great backstory mystery that's going to provide some answer for whatever this finale is. And I started to get flashbacks of Lost and how <laughs> I spent years Ooh. pouring over that show, talking about it, discussing it. And then it was the lamest ass fucking stupid thing that everybody made fun of. Oh, it's just purgatory. And then okay. it was, you that's know. That's not so what then it got in the finale of Lost. It's not purgatory. <laughs> You're so wrong. It's basically that. Damon Lindelof. Is there something you want to say? If you're listening, Damon Lindelof, the finale of Lost was beautiful. Everyone who thinks they were dead the whole time is on crack. And I hope you're not so depressed anymore. (laughs) They weren't dead the whole time, but they were dead part of the time. They They were dead after they died. When we saw them die. And then they went to the side. This is not the point. The point is... As an avid viewer, I felt very disappointed, and I didn't feel like it was very smart. You can have your opinion, too. <sighs> and I just felt like it started to make me doubt George R. R. Martin that he really does have a big finish planned. Well, it doesn't matter what George R. R. Martin is thinking anymore, because uh, the producers have rewritten several storylines, and so things are veering off in other directions. Also, I believe that Martin told them how he wanted the story to end in case he gets hit by a bus or something. Yeah. So I guess everyone kind of knows. I mean, I think, I think all the, almost all the story choices that the show has made have been good. They're all Um, approved by him. I'm sure. Yeah. And the fact that he got, um, that they got Daenerys and Tyrion into the same room. uh, But then they took them apart was stupid. I just enjoyed every second that Tyrion and Daenerys spent together. Totally. I thought it was great. And I loved when he was like, so why do you want to take over Westeros anyway? It's a shithole full of jerks. And, you know, that was a great speech. And uh, and I also love the Varys reappears out of nowhere, which is yeah, also that awesome. Was great. I was glad that she ended up back with the Dothraki, though. I'm sure they're going to, like, torture her or something. But hopefully she'll, you know, eat another horse heart and win their hearts in the process or something. I am not interested in that. I just, I feel like the smartest decision they made was putting her in a room with Tyrion because her storyline, I mean, she has not been my favorite character for a while. I think her storyline's been really stale. And I loved her getting on the dragon. That, that really pulled my heartstrings and I'm so excited. And then for her to just take a detour... And then be like trying to get a cab home and she can't. <laughs> and now she's going to get mugged by a bunch of Dothraki. It's like, what the fuck is happening with Daenerys? Like, again, this makes me doubt the end game. What are you have been doing nothing with this character for so long? So do you both think the Dothraki are going to be hostile towards her? Uh, I do. Will her activities since having gone away from them make them respect her more or less? I mean, if they wanted to just be like revenge or something, then why not just kill kill her? I mean, riding their horses all around her in a circle was kind of awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that was a great, see, this is what, there have been great scenes. Apparently they got buckets of money from HBO, so they were able to do the White Walker siege and the dragon flight and the Dothraki horse parade. Um, That (laughs) was amazing. They were beautiful, beautiful, um, breathtaking scenes. Can we can we talk about Brienne for a second? Always. I have a I have a serious issue 
with the Brienne resolution. We watch Brienne traipsing around through the scenery for I don't know how many seasons, trying to do something. And now finally she sees Stannis. She's ready to avenge Renly's death. She does her whole speech. She lifts her sword and then we cut to something else. Yeah, it was it was disappointing. I was kind of like, have you guys ever seen the Princess Bride? We want to see the sword fight. Uh, uh-huh. And then also the fact that she missed Sansa's signal by like two seconds was like so rom-com. They showed up the second you left. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just it was just all kind of awful. Why can't you give her some some you know victory or something? Let's see it. We don't have to see his guts pouring out. So one of the producers said that they thought it was gratuitous to to see her right. kiss Stannis, which is like so fucking ridiculous <laughs> considering everything else we had to right. see. Happen. No, I mean it was gratuitous what we had to see before Arya stabbed that guy. <sighs> you know of him beating those girls. I mean even we were just sitting here going like I don't need to see this. I think yeah. the gr- we get he's a bad guy. The gratuitous Done. thing makes no sense because one of the best scenes of last season was Brienne versus the Hound, which was probably the most brutal sword fight they've ever had on the show. So yeah, I don't I don't get it. I don't know why they didn't give her her moment and why she had to just miss the signal. And I mean, all of it is she like the comic relief or something? I, I'm I'm very unhappy about. About the way they've been treating her. I think they could have well, done hoping... both of those things. They could have had her miss the signal. And they could have had her decide to kill Stannis. Even though he couldn't fight back. And have those be really poignant moments. Instead of just feeling so like rushed. Like eh, this isn't really where we want to be. Let's get on with it. You know. Well and I'm just hoping that Sansa and Theon. A their legs aren't broken. B they run straight towards Brienne. And then we have a whole other you know road trip. They looked like they were going to fucking die. Like, how am I supposed to believe that you can live jumping into a snowdrift that's, like, 50 feet down? Like, that's going to not just break your legs. Like, you're going to die. You're going to suffocate in that snow. Yeah. I mean, they just show them throwing that woman over the edge and, and she dies. And they're jumping that much. I I didn't I didn't get that at all. I didn't get the... The physics of it, like how this was going to actually happen. Yeah, me neither. And I immediately, of course, thought, did they just fucking Thelma and Louise it and then put that yeah. into Twitter and saw that everyone else was asking the same question? <laughs> I was like, yes, right? It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, would be so know. dumb because Sansa is not there yet. And plus, wasn't I saying two episodes ago that the worst thing the show could possibly do of any rape storyline like they've been doing is have her just commit suicide in order to fix the problem because she's shamed and dirty now. Right, right. And I'm like, Sansa is not the kind of person who's going to kill herself right after she found her brothers are alive. I'm not, I'm just, no. No. No, she's really brave. I mean, she faced down that arrow. Or badass. We'll find out next season. We'll find out. And so meanwhile, um, Arya is getting stabby, literally. Yeah, that was really intense. Yeah, that was really, let's talk about gratuitous. I'm sorry, but I really didn't need to see her do that for that long. No, it actually intensity. made me gag. Like, I physically gagged watch and had to look away from the scene. That's how gross I found it. Well, I mean, he's really changed her into kind of an evil character. I mean, she's she's a bit of a sociopath now. I mean, that was crazy. I mean, that's like, 
It's like, where is the innocence in this character anymore? I guess it's just completely gone. A girl has no innocence. I don't know. I like her, and I, I'm supporting her. I mean, I think she, she's she been like that for a long time. She just now has the means to carry out the things she's been fantasizing about ever since she, she met the man with no face. Um, I support that, I, and I support the idea that it'll turn out to be a price that she has to pay in order to take her revenge. But I just think that particular scene was staged in a way that I felt was a focus on the gross violence rather than what a, a catharsis it should have been for her. Right. Well, they said they wanted to film it Tarantino-esque, and I think they really accomplished that. Oh, yeah. Um, but but did anybody note that she actually successfully changed her face? Yeah, they show it. I know, but I mean, is anybody talking about that? She, like, ascended to the next level of uh, whatever. The, I, just, the, I just don't care about the many face god. I find that all so boring. I wish she would just leave and be the assassin she wants to be. Well, I don't. I think her blindness is temporary. I don't think she's just going to be blind now forever. Arya, the blind assassin. That's kind of badass, too, yeah. though. If she <laughs> is, like, that is kind of badass. She could be like Daredevil or something. I just want to say a little rest in peace for Shireen. Yeah. Which was probably the most horrifying thing I had to watch this entire season. And this is why Westeros can't have nice things. Yep. Because Stannis burned his daughter at the stake. Yep. That was horrible, that whole thing. I mean, it it was, again, it wasn't a I'm done with the show moment for me. Uh... Because I wasn't, like, angry that the writers went there or anything. I just thought it was it was just awful within the context of the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think it was actually a really interesting place to go with Stannis for him to be that dark and then for it to not work at all. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting him to win after that. So Right. Well, I think Melisandre was pretty shocked that it didn't work. Yeah. That was a great scene. That whole scene where she, she like sees the icicles melting and she's so excited. And then they find out that half the men have left and, you know, all of this. Uh, I think that that was great. That whole sequence uh, was great yeah, and powerful. I, I really liked the aftermath of that. And so it story-wise, I, I thought it was well done. And I hope Davos becomes uh, king of Castle Black. Yeah, he could totally be a good those guys. King. Yeah, because I hate that fucking one guy whose name I can never <laughs> remember. Who cares what his name is? He <laughs> sucks. Okay, so Game of Thrones is over. Uh, Mad Men is over. Orphan Black is almost over. Uh, a lot of things are ending. What are we? What are we going to be watching through the summer? Well, I have definitely been loving Unreal. I don't know if you guys have watched it. The first four episodes, um, Lifetime put online. It's on Lifetime. First off, what? <laughs> crazy um but i love it it's such a dark satire of the bachelor type shows which i don't even watch um but it is it's so feminist without being in your face feminist i really love it yeah i've been enjoying it too i like shiri appleby the lead a lot i love constant zimmer who is sort of the co-lead um, mm-hmm. who in episode one i thought was just gonna be like the bitchy boss character and then they've really developed her over the next two episodes so it is kind of a it's a battle between the two of them in a way the producer and this person who's trapped working for her so it does feel like co-leads and the um co-creator of the show 
uh, did a really interesting interview on KCRW inter- recently where she basically said, oh yeah, Lifetime, there was we never even had a single conversation about having two women in the leads. And I was just like, yeah. yes, that's amazing. Totally. And I, I, what I love about it is it's the best warped, fucked up mentor and protege relationships and damages. Yeah, I think they're they could go to some fucking whiplash places with this if they wanted to. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty the it's pretty twisted. It's like the it's like the girly emotional version of the kind of abuse suffered in Whiplash. It's great to watch kind of some awesome female villains. I'm going to I'm going to I've only seen the first two episodes, so I'm going to really reserve judgment because um, there's some great, great things about it. And Marty Noxon being one of the creators is great. And, um, I'm just not sure what I think yet. It, it makes me long for more episodes of the comeback. Mm. And I, I don't know why I'm feeling that way, but, but somehow it's like, I wish I, it's missing something. It might be a sense of humor. I'm not sure. It doesn't um, have a ton of humor. It doesn't. No. I think it needs more humor and it needs the, the young, the producer, the young producer. She's just a miserable shtick, as my friends used to say. <laughs> um, I, I need, I need something from her that isn't her, her sour face all the time. I can see I don't know. that. So that, so I'm wait. maybe that's going to be developed. I don't know. The thing I love about the show is that the contestants themselves are not the punchline. Yeah, which is great that they're that they are very clear about the manipulation that's going on constantly. And I want to put in a little plug for my friend Jennifer Posner, who wrote an amazing book about reality TV called Reality Bites Back. And I feel like uh, so much of what she talks about in that book is sort of playing out in this show. Um, So I really appreciate how they're taking a really sort of critical and complex look at the genre without really punishing people for watching it as a guilty pleasure. Right. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really fine line that they're walking with tone. And I think they really nail it. And the next episode, Therese really um, dives more into her backstory. So it'll be interesting to see what you think after that one. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to watch the the next two shows. Um, I'm I, so, yeah, I, I think, I think you need to watch more than two shows, uh, two episodes of anything, I think, to, to get a, an idea of. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What it is. But it's totally promising. A good summer show that feels like you're getting a little bit of, you know, your soapy fun in, but it has tons of really interesting stuff to say. I'm not really watching that many more shows this summer, though. I, I watch Hannibal, but yeah, I don't know. My DVR is a little bare right now. Well, Outlander season one just ended. I'm part of this completely crazy Outlander fan group on Facebook, which shall be nameless. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't know if it's made me a bigger or a lesser fan of the show, but, uh, <laughs> but I really, I really liked season one a lot. I cannot wait until season two. I'm almost done with Orphan Black season three, which I think was a great season. It's been really good. I was so skeptical that they could come back from the murky mess of season two, and it's been yeah. very, very entertaining. Yeah, season two was such a shit show, but but season three is great. I love the male clones. I think that's a great idea. I'm a little worried about Lost Syndrome with Orphan Black. Um, I'm really hoping that there is some sort of 
end game here. <laughs> that, right. You know, I, I don't want to be led along and then given some bullshit sort of explanation. But so I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I, I have a lot of movies to catch up on. So maybe I'll, I'll be doing more movies than TV Me shows. Me too. As we're recording this, it is the day before Inside Out comes out. And I'm so fucking excited <gasps> for that movie. Me too. I'm excited about that. I'm going to see Spy on Sunday. I really, I really <laughs> like Spy McCarthy. a lot. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm excited to see that too. Um, yeah. Well, I'll say another show I'm watching, which you got to go like old school. I mean, you can't find it streaming anywhere. So I'm going back to Netflix DVDs. Woo! Okay. Wow. To watch Borgen. Yay! Borgen. Yeah. Which yeah. is the Danish political thriller that is so amazingly feminist. It's about a female prime minister. And it also has the media involved. And I basically want to start watching it, A, because everybody's talked about how great it is. And I'm obsessed with the actress who is the... German woman in Pitch Perfect 2, and she was the wildling <laughs> that died when the little white children came in and ate her in oh, yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, and this Hort is Sorensen. She's fantastic. <laughs> it's so great. We are loving it. We've uh, we're halfway through season one, and it is so much better than anything in America that is about politics or the media. Yeah. It is so, so, so. The best is, I love the way Danish sounds. I watch a lot of Danish movies, and uh, I can't speak a word of it, except for that their word for prime minister is statsminister. So you're just like listening to this tirade, and all of a sudden you hear that one word that you recognize in the middle. Yeah. And it's so, I don't know why that detail always sticks with me. But um, yeah, and Sidsa Babbitt Knudsen, who plays the main character, is also an incredible Danish actress who's been in a ton of Suzanne Beer stuff and. All kinds of things, and it's just like she reminds me of like a Danish Mary McDonald kind of like she's just fantastic. And, uh, she's so great, and uh, the show was just really, really well done. So um, I did hear a rumor that David Simon is in talks with HBO to maybe do a U.S. adaptation of it, which would uh, blow my fucking mind. Um, so we'll see, but um, I'm definitely gonna keep getting the DVDs. So I can watch this. <laughs> That's terrible. You, now you're like waiting for the next DVD. I don't think I've done that since I watched The Wire. Actually, uh, it's weird. I'm <laughs> telling you guys, it's weird. And then like when you you know the paper thing that you have to tear off of it. Inside is totally an ad geared towards old people, and it has a picture of old people like tell your friends about Netflix DVDs. And I was like, <laughs> I am not their target. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Netflix, um. Orange is the New Black season three just dropped. I'm waiting. My sister's coming to visit in a week. So I promised her I would wait until she came and then we would binge Orange is the New Black together. Fun. You watched it all already. (laughs) Oh. I'm only one episode in. I'm behind. Okay. Don't tell me anything. I think it's kind of similar in pace to season two where you're kind of like, these are a little slow. Where are they going with this? And then it gets like more and more things connecting, more and more stuff going on and I thought the finale was absolutely beautiful so I think right if you're feeling doubtful in the first couple episodes just they know they have a plan they do have a plan stick with it there's no lost syndrome on that show she always sticks the land you can see like I think it is the the core show on tv but aside from maybe Hannibal where I feel like I can see the map of the whole season 
once it's over. Like, I can't guess where they're going with it, but once it ends, I'm like, fuck, those writers knew. Like, they had yeah. it beat for beat laid out, but they hid it until it all sprang to the surface. Uh, I just love that show. I'm, like, already about to start rewatching it because I'm sad that I have to wait for more. I want to put in a special shout-out to uh, the Broadway show Fun Home. And I know every once in a while I mention something on Broadway that only people in New York can enjoy at the moment. But Fun Home, which is based on Alison Bechdel's graphic novel, uh, which was brilliant in its own right, is um, an amazing musical. I saw it a couple of years ago off Broadway. It's on Broadway now. It just won Best Musical, um, Best Book, Best Score, Best Director, and Michael Cerveris won an acting award. And if you guys have not yet seen Sydney Lucas doing her Tony Awards performance of Ring of Keys, everyone needs to watch that. Why don't they do more things where you can, like... I mean, I know this is a thing mostly for opera sometimes, but where they will project the live show into, like, a movie theater so people in other cities can watch it. Why don't musicals do that? I know, they they really should, because I think this would look great uh, on screen. It's it's an intimate show. It's it's really special. It's And, you know, the, the story is about... Um, Alison Bechdel coming out as a lesbian while her father is struggling with being a very closeted gay man. Um, it's very boundary pushing. And I just wonder what all the summer tourists to New York are going to think when they get tickets to that thing that won Best Musical and they find out it's about a lesbian. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And it's called Fun and Home. And it's called Fun like, Home. They're not going to get the irony. Right. It's about a funeral home. And yeah. Um, but, but I hope that by the end they're so incredibly moved and charmed that it will be worth it for them. So I'm super excited that, that it got all that recognition. And uh, I, I, we're going to see it again on Broadway because it was so great. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Downton Gabby Off Season. Uh, we are going to be uh, talking more about some of the shows that are getting going, more about Unreal and other things. You can find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby. Uh, let us know what you're watching and what you want us to talk about. We're on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com, and we're on Facebook at, you guessed it, Downton Gabby. Bye-bye. You didn't notice her at first, but I saw her the moment she walked in. She was a delivery woman. She came in with a handcart full of packages. She was an old-school butch. Someone just came in the door Like no one I ever saw before I feel... I feel... I don't know where you came from I wish I did. I feel so dumb. I feel your swagger and your bearing and just right clothes you're wearing, your short hair and your dungarees and your lace up boots and your keys. Oh, your So
heart, saying hi. In this whole luncheon net, why am I the only one who sees your beautiful? No, I mean handsome.